Yo, what's up, everyone? Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving last week. It's been a while since I posted a new episode, but I'm back. I was traveling quite a bit over the past few weeks, but now I'm back in Seoul, ready to go. So last week, I was back in my hometown of LA for Thanksgiving, and it was super cool to meet some of you guys who listen to my podcast and are part of my Facebook group. I had a barbecue in downtown LA where we got to meet each other, hang out, eat some good food, and that was really great to meet you guys in person. So quick plug, if you guys want to meet other like-minded people that are all hustling on their career, entrepreneurship, self-development, anything, then join my group, Badass Asian Dudes, on Facebook. What I love about the group is that there have already been a bunch of meetups in different cities where people are meeting each other and developing real relationships from the group. That's really awesome to see. So this week's interview is with my new friend, Victor. I actually met Victor through my Facebook group, and we met up in person for the first time in LA. And from my short time of getting to know him, he's a super interesting guy with a lot of really interesting life experiences to share. A quick summary of his life. After graduating from NYU, he worked in the fashion industry for a little bit before launching his own luxury shoe brand that can be found in some of the biggest department stores in the U.S. He then started doing real estate investing in New York and Tokyo before starting his newest venture, building and selling luxury villas in Portugal. So if you're interested in investing in luxury real estate in Europe, Victor is your guy, and he'll tell you all the reasons why right now is a great time for it, which we get into in the podcast. So this interview is going to be about his entrepreneurship journey and I think you guys will really enjoy it. This conversation is like listening and learning from your wise older brother who's just done a lot of cool shit all over the world. Thanks for listening guys. If you guys enjoy the podcast make sure to like and subscribe. If you want to support the show how about leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners find my podcast and helps me get other great guests for the show. Thanks for listening guys and let's get on with it. Yo, yo. What's up, dude? Can you hear me? Hey, man. Oh, yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, cool. What's going on? Where are you right now? You're in New York? I'm back in New York, you know, just uh, getting caught up on everything. Nice, dude. Nice. What I think could be interesting for your audience is all the things that I learned from doing Facto as a business. Yeah. The successes and failures from that, how the what what were the learnings from that, and then how I use that knowledge and and experience base to go into real estate, something completely different. You know? Yeah. Okay. So I did a little research on Facto. You guys have yeah. a lot of shoes. Yes. So you know my my experience in the shoe business was really to come at it from an angle of selling the department stores. And this is kind of a 2000s approach to fashion, which worked. And also, I have to ask you about that, like how you got into these big department stores. That's a a big topic that we need to get into. But let's start from the very beginning. How do you even get into the shoe business, which is also incredibly hard because inventory, you have to stock every single size. So I think yeah. this is an extremely tough business to crack. So let's start from Shoes the beginning. Shoes is, is an incredibly shitty business to be in. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. It's a it's a business. It's a business you can be very very passionate about, but in terms of just an actual business, it's it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. Okay, I got into fashion because I I was always into fashion growing up. I think I once once saw a nip slip on a runway show, fashion show, and and I was hooked on this fashion. I thought, how cool is that? Oh, nice! <laughs> like they would just keep walking and pretend it didn't happen. Something so you know, in in the for the love of fashion. So that that got me interested in it. And, and there, of course, fashion is sexy. It's cool. You know, there's definitely that appeal to it, but. I, I, I studied finance and marketing at NYU, and when I graduated, I ended up not doing either of those things, to my parents' dismay and to their checkbooks' dismay. But 
I pursued fashion. So I got into uh, a program for to learn how to become a buyer. A real, uh, Were you uh, at Macy's? No, I was at Lord & Taylor. Okay. So Macy's is the I, big program where I feel like a lot of fashion lot of buyers go into. Yeah. Macy's doesn't pay well. Lord & Taylor had a program that paid it was I mean, it's a fashion salary it's not great but it definitely paid more than the other department stores you know? got it and so me being a mercenary that's that's what i went for mm-hmm. but the thing with lord and taylor is it's also an extraordinarily unfashion oriented company very numbers driven very analytical and that was a great way to learn the, the, the business of fashion mm. what uh were you buying did you have a My specific f- category my first job was cosmetics and it was great. It was me, my buddy, a gay dude and all girls. And they were all (laughs) very, very comfortable place to be. That business was very straightforward. There's no negotiating on gross margin or profitability. It's a a standardized 40% margin. There's no, I mean, the only negotiation you do is on advertising Things never go on sale. It's all replenishment, meaning you're not having to make a selection every season. You just buy the the breadth of everything the vendor has to offer, and then manage the manage the stock levels of it. Mm, okay. So it was an interesting way to get into business, but and very numbers oriented, but nothing related to apparel, fashion, anything like that. Nothing that creative about it. And I did that for a train in that area. Then I got moved to men's. That was a totally different environment, frat housey, uh, very hands-on in terms of the actual assortment of the product, a lot of decisions making in terms of that rather different from cosmetics. Uh, the, you're dealing with product that you would actually wear as a guy, so that was really cool. And I enjoyed that, that side of it. But I always felt like me being a Chinese guy there's a there's a layer to this business because everything is being made in China, right? So, with my background and my ability to speak Chinese, why why don't I have any exposure to that? Oh, I love that. I Makes love that. Okay, cool. When and, do you start uh, getting these ideas? How old are you? So, I, this I'm guessing I'm like twenty two. Yeah, yeah. 20, okay. Twenty three, twenty four, grinding, and and I'm I'm just looking at this machine like there's more value I can add to this thing because I, I, I understand the culture. This is what I was thinking. Right. Um, so I was very drawn to get into the production side of the business as well. Uh, the buying was fun. It's, you have in the relationship, all the leverage in terms of being a buyer. That's nice. Getting your ass kissed a lot. That's nice for a, a time, but it, it, it's just one facet of the business, right? And I really wanted to get to the creative side. So I took a job uh, doing product development. I did that for a year. And that was, it was at Express. That was very cushy, very comfortable, easy work, not challenging enough, but did allow me to understand kind of the cycle of the fashion cycle. Um, how you start concepting the season, then how you start developing the ideas, going into product development, working with the tech designers to to, to perfect the designs so that they can be worn, all, the, the whole thing. So that was interesting to see. And then I went back to Lord & Taylor because I was such a mercenary when I was young. I only cared about money, and they offered a great package. But it was to do planning, which was nothing creative whatsoever. And I did that for a year. I hated it, but just made nice money. And I decided at the end, okay, I want to either take a job. I had two options. One for a buying director job in Hong Kong, a department store called Lane Crawford. One for planning director for Saks. And I, I couldn't make up my mind between the two. Both were interesting. And I went to my friend's dad for advice. He... I'd known of him. He had uh, launched a trading company in Taiwan in the 70s and basically opened up Taiwan to be a producer of shoes for America. So they did very well for quite a long time. And eventually he was tapped by Steve Madden to launch the men's division. And so he'd become president of Steve Madden Men's. He'd made them $58 million in the second year. So 
he was doing very well. His whole family was doing very well. They were handling all the production in China for Steve Madden. And I thought this guy has a lot of good advice to offer. Let me talk to him. Uh, I speak to him. He's, he's a 100% character. Uh, my best friend's dad. And he tells me, well, you should just typical Taiwanese dude. Why don't you work for me? You know, that kind of thing. I'm going to bring my brand to us. And it was very strange. This is a guy who's so Taiwanese yet. He's the president of the division of, a very American company. Yeah, Steve Madden. That's got, very he's, interesting. He's got such a Taiwanese approach to running the business. Everything flat, you know, <laughs> everyone reporting to him. Like, how the fuck does this guy make things work? So I was very curious, right? And he was certainly a successful guy. And I thought, well, this way I get an exposure to Asia. To, you know, I, 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 I satisfied that desire that I had working as a buyer. Um, when I get to work directly with the CEO, I like that rather than being like, you know, middle management, whatever. Right. And, uh, and I, and I got the sense that it was very hands-on, you know, which it was right. So that's how I got into the shoe business. And I'd later find out that the guy only hired me because he wanted me to get his son involved, <laughs> which uh, I delivered. Yeah, okay. I delivered on that. But it, as it turned out, you know, I, because I had experience in the industry already, he and I could dive really well and work very closely together. And so we ended up having a really cool working relationship. He became one of the very important first mentors of mine. What was your friend doing at the time? Was he in finance? My friend, no, he was not in finance. He had worked for Steve Mann for a bit. He, he didn't get along with his dad too much. Okay. Um, his dad's a big playboy. Got it. And it's difficult for a son to kind of approach that, you know, for me, I didn't have that sort of emotional engagement so much. So it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Maybe I thought it was kind of cool at the time, but whatever, you know, we, we, we didn't have this kind of barrier. Right? Got it. And so we could come up with a lot of cool strategy. We did a lot of thinking together. It was a lot of fun, you know, and I never, I never been engaged in high level thinking in a corporation before. Hmm. And so I, I started out more on the marketing and sales side. And as I started working with accounts like Bloomingdale's and Sands, I was like, well, the kind of product that we have now isn't necessarily suitable for these accounts, but these accounts want to buy us. So I better develop a line that works for them. You know? And that's how I started getting uh, involved in the design and production side of the business. Initially, it was just okay, we have designers in China. Let me communicate my vision to them and see if, and, it, and I, I had, I, I could draw as a kid. So I have some artistic abilities. I'm not like the best, but I have some. So I was able to sketch and kind of put together on paper what I wanted the shoe to look like. And How do you know what these department stores are looking for? That's you study what they're selling, what's selling in their competitors, you know, it's not hard to kind of figure that out, right? Okay. So it's kind of like reverse engineering. You kind of figure oh, out what 100%, they want 100%. and then you produce that. Huh, interesting. This, and, and, and that's something I apply to just life in general. You got to reverse engineer everything. Like, you know, the, the main thing, we can jump through a lot of this stuff. So I, I started my own brand uh, when I was living in Tokyo and I was very, this is going back to your point about reverse engineering. I was very sure that what I was experiencing in Tokyo in terms of the influence on my design taste, my aesthetics was, was very changing, you know, was transformative, was something that I wouldn't have experienced in the U S and I thought, why can't I relate this to an, to, and, and in fact, actually the first, the first, in the beginning, I didn't really have uh, intention to sell my brand in the U.S. I was engaged to a beautiful woman in Tokyo who was crazy. And <laughs> my idea was just to have a company that I, a shoe brand that I sell to Japanese customers made in Italy. And uh, interestingly enough, all 
my clientele ended up being from the States. I didn't sell a single customer from Japan until I left there. So I started selling really good customers. Bloomingdale, uh, Bergdorf, Goodman, Sachs, uh, Lane Crawford, all the, all the most coveted retailers in the world were my customers. It was kind of amazing. And it was mainly because I got an account called Kit. And they're like the tastemakers of that genre of footwear. So once they bought it, I had an existing relationship with Ronnie, the owner, from when we were much younger, starting in the shoe business. Once they start, once Kit started buying it, all these other retailers came on board. That's now, awesome. Going back to that point about reverse engineering, what happened was I saw some things in Japan. I thought, great, I've got this elevated sense of design and aesthetic now that I, and I still believe to a, to a degree that, yeah, it was an elevated sense. Let me share this with the world, right? That was, that was my, I had, I'm so passionate about this. I got to get this stuff out there. People have to see this stuff. And when we're talking about reverse engineering, that's totally the wrong approach, right? In hindsight, now having done other businesses and, uh, and seen it, I still love this brand, of course. It's the fact that it was the first brand I ever designed and I, I continue to do it. But one thing I wish I looked at it differently in hindsight was rather than saying, Here, here's what I'm capable of doing. I can source shoes. I can design. I can do marketing. Here's all the things I can do. And let me put something out with the composite of that into the world. What should have been the approach and how I approach everything now is, okay, what is, there's something in the footwear space that I want to do. Okay. What is missing in that world? What are the pain points of, 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 of customers that I can solve? What is the actual need for my expertise? Not, this is what I can do. Let me throw it out there and see who latches onto it. Mm, now it's interesting. out what, what's the problem to be solved in this world right now in shoes? And then going, in, going after that problem, defining a very specific tribe to whom this problem exists for and being everything for that tribe. You know, what happens if it's coming from you, you as an individual are a lot of things, right? You have a lot of interests. Not all of them relate to shoes, but you're an eclectic person. Every person is fairly eclectic, but the way consumers are looking for products, they're not looking for eclecticism. They are looking for something that's going to fill that specific void for them at that moment in time. Maybe they're looking for a dress shoe. Maybe they're looking for a basketball shoe. Whatever the case may be, what your brand does, what your company essentially does, has to resonate with that one kind of thing, you know. And so if you, if, you, if you reverse engineer it, you can do that. Whereas if you start with just your heart and soul and passion, this thing can be any, any number of things and then becomes nothing. Because oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. this one thing, right? So this is something that's become very important to me to understand any kind of new venture I do is like how to take my ego out of it and, and look very plainly at, okay, what are, the, what are the circumstances in the world? This, this needs fixing. This is, this is a pathway. These are all the kind of s- cycles that are happening in this environment. How do I, with my resources, capabilities, capital, relationships, how can I navigate this to help that consumer go from here to there? You know, And that's been a big fundamental change in how I view all my projects now. And it drives everything I do. So, you know, I think an important thing as an entrepreneur, your first business is your baby. You love it to death. You're going to put every, you, you would die for it. But that's a, that's a very easy way to lose a lot of money. <laughs> mm. No, I, I love you, that. I love that. I really love the, uh, the reverse engineering yeah. kind of thinking. That's also wow. how I figured out how to sell mannequins. I don't know if you know this, but I have an e-commerce business selling mannequins. And the way that I found that niche was through reverse engineering. So I had a list of criteria that I wanted that product to be. For example, business to business. I wanted a certain price point, like $200 to $1,000. I wanted to have a certain amount of Google search volume. There was a bunch of criteria that I had 
right. and I didn't know what that product was. But then once I had that criteria, then I started looking around everywhere, trying to find something that's within there. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's ultimately the shoe business took me to Italy, took me to Portugal. And, you know, when I went to Portugal, I was mainly, I was there just to meet with shoe factories. I knew that there was a lot of value out there, right, in terms of manufacturing. Everybody knows Italy is the hub for shoemaking in Europe, but little known, Portugal also has a history of making shoes. And so when I went there, I found that their, their shoe that I would pay maybe 90 euros for in Italy, I could buy for 50 euros in Portugal. And by and large, the, 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 it's the same shoe, just differences in make, subtle differences in quality that I would say Italy is, is better at than Portugal. But at the end of the day, the consumer doesn't care, I think. The consumer was, it, it won't, wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So I could go with my ego and be the brand that is made in Italy at the hub of, 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 of European production. Or I go with what I think is smart for the business that's right for the consumer. And then I could charge less as opposed to charging 525 I could charge 375 for the shoe, right? Um, so that's how, I, that's how I got into Portugal. And I didn't really explore that place much as a real estate opportunity. Um, and I didn't even really think much about the country in and of itself. I didn't, it was really an afterthought until I started seeing friends of mine uh, <laughs> going to Portugal and taking these beautiful photos of, of the beach and, you know, great food. And I'm like, Man, I go to fucking Portugal all the time. I've never seen any of that. So the next trip I took, I said, you know, I got to spend a good 10 days here. Let me explore this city. This place looks cool. And I did that. And I fell in love very easily. You know, I, I love seafood. I grew up from one to five. I lived in Taiwan. So seafood probably is in my DNA from <laughs> the time I was in my mom's womb. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I love the beach. Where I grew up in Taiwan was close to an area called Kanding, which beach is very similar, kind of these rocky beaches. To me, it's more interesting. And everything in the city is just 50% of what I pay in New York. But you didn't, I didn't sense that you lost any kind of sophistication. You're not trading that in. You're just paying less, in fact, for more sophistication in some senses and more heritage, right? So that I'd invested in real estate in New York and Tokyo, and this was just personal residences for me to live in, right? And and I'd always done well with real estate. And in fact, I was starting to see I'm making more money buying and selling properties than I am <laughs> selling shoes. You know, <laughs> we're talking about much bigger numbers here. And so I was I had an interest, a, a, a subtle desire to make real estate more of a, a profession, not just, oh, okay, a place for me to live where I don't have to pay rent, you know? And, and so I, I, I moved to Tokyo for three years while I was working for Jump, and that's where I started facto, right? Um, and in that time, I moved to Tokyo, and I, I hadn't paid rent in 10 years, so I thought, you know what, I want to buy a place there. I had two properties in New York that I had rented out at the time. And I, I looked around, did a ton of due diligence. The yen was weak. The, the, the market was hitting an inflection point in terms of decades of, of, of downtrend, finally hitting an inflection point, the Chinese money coming in, a lot of things happening, the Olympics coming. So I, I kind of understood what was going on on a macro level. And based on that, I started to, define my 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 property search and i found a place that was that was very cool it was very designer chic um it it was two-story which i thought was cool i didn't ever live in a place like that before i found that wasn't that cool um and the thing was this it was in a great area right but it was the majority of the unit was located underground 
and the, the, the bedroom was on the top floor. So it was a two bedroom with one bedroom underground, bathroom underground, kitchen, living room underground, huge space for Tokyo and the, the master bedroom upstairs. Um, that apartment got very little light. And I, I, I realized that that's probably why this guy had a real hard time selling it, but he sold it. His price was just too low. That's, I think it scared off a lot of people. So when I sold that, I priced it more closer to market, a little bit under market, and I crushed it. <laughs> that was like really easy money to make. And so I, I did really well on that. And then I reinvested that money into another property, also made money on that. And I was like, man, I'm coming. You know, my mom is is a very skeptical and critical lady, and she's criticized me my whole life. <laughs> but on real estate, she was like, I could tell she trusted me. You know, so I was okay. like, my mom trusts me on this. I'm I think Asian this. parents, they're always like, you got to buy real estate. You got to buy real estate. Even my parents, they're always telling me that I got to get into real estate. So, you know, what I when I started looking at Portugal and I started doing all the research again, um, I, I got interested in the market. I found out, wow, what a great opportunity. There's all these macroeconomic factors that benefit it. Uh, it, it, it got an IMF bailout for 78, $78 billion That Part of the stipulation of this bailout was that they had to abolish rent stabilization. So once you abolish rent stabilization that's been around for generations, all of a sudden, overnight, you have a housing boom, right? Ryanair starts operating direct flights into Porto, whereas you always had to transfer from Lisbon before. That's going to change the game. So I started understanding all these things. Ah, the tax incentives, the euro is, is, is super weak right now. There's a golden visa program. All these things I started understanding about this opportunity in Portugal. And I thought, you know, I did this before in Japan. And, and, it's, and I know my research is valid because I've, the outcomes I've had on two properties out there. Now I'm doing this again, but I know that this research after two years time is going to be invalid because the moment has passed. This opportunity is closed. Something else might be out there, but I don't know what that is yet, you know, but I've just done at this point, like four months of research. I don't want that just to go to waste. Is there a way for me to activate this research to help other people do what I'm doing out there, right? And so when I started looking at the at the property out there, I came upon a lot of different, there's a lot of different kinds of opportunity, buying a condo, building a villa, buying a completed villa, buying land and building it ground up. I, I, I a full range of ways to look at this in a way that in New York is completely prohibitive. There's nothing I could buy for this kind of price point for half a million or whatever, you know? Uh, you're looking at a small studio in New York. For, for sure, yeah. That's that's with financing. Out there, I was finding I could own a beachfront villa with a pool. That's drastically different, right? And so I went out there. I looked at a ton of real estate. And this is after I already sold uh, a condo I had in Brooklyn. That was the last piece of real estate I owned. At this point, I sold a studio I had. I'd sold two units in Tokyo, and I had one place left, which I sold to my tenant. I didn't really want to sell that one, but my tenant offered to buy it for me direct, so I saved about 85000 on broker fee right there. And so I couldn't – it's hard to turn that down, right? For sure. Um, and so I went in there armed. I was I, – after I sold the place – you know, when that, that was the biggest check I've ever gotten. And you would think, oh, what a nice relief to get this like almost million-dollar check. Great. It, it just was stressful for me because this was money that was in an asset that was being productive before. Mm. And now it's just a number in a bank. doesn't mean anything. doesn't do anything. I can't swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. Interesting. Yeah. It, okay. You know? I, yeah, you need to put it to work. You have to deploy it, right? So yeah. it was stressful to think about this every day. It's sitting there. It's not doing shit for me, you know? So I went out there really serious about finding something. I looked at all kinds of things. And finally, I, it was actually the first listing I saw was the one I ended up doing. And only because, the, 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 you know, the price tag was much lower than anything else out there. 
How do you what, even find that first listing? Like you are just walking just, around Porto and Porto real estate. Da, da, da. And, you know, it turns out the site that comes up first is the, it ends up being like the predominant prevailing site that everyone uses. That everything's on there. But I looked at a ton of different sites, right? Um, but the first thing I saw was super compelling. It was, it was a rendering and it was just like, it was, I mean, it, it was a different property too, from what I ended up going with, but it was like 330,000 euro for for a three bed, four bedroom, four bath house with a pool and five minute walk to the beach, you know, and a, and a, and a, and a view of the ocean. When was this? This was September of last year. So it's over a year. Wow. Okay. Pretty recent. Saw, actually. I'm sitting on the beach that this thing is, and I'm looking at this listing. Like this is the beach that's on the house is up. Jesus, that's fucking cool. You know? What a great disparity from New York. I mean, I paid 330 grand for my first studio in New York in 2005, right? This is being able to buy something much better than that using better financing at one and a quarter percent. So I I found all these things, right? And I thought, and then I finally met with the guy and I had this idea like, because I had seen another property where it was called a, a, a apartment hotel, and uh, their business was, okay, you buy a condo in our building. Our building is run as a five-star hotel. You buy a condo here. If you buy a two-bedroom or larger, you're able to operate that as, as you see fit. You can't do short-term rental on it, but you can stay there as long as you like. You can be a part of our rental pool if you like. If you buy a one-bedroom or a studio, you're obligated to be in our rental pool, which means you have to buy our furniture. You can only stay there six weeks a year, two weeks for free, two weeks 50% off, two weeks 25% off. The rest of the time you have to pay as a hotel guest, right? And then your cap rate is 4.3%. That's a really shitty yield for, for a, a place where you, I know you can make it to 12%, not too hard, right? But I like the concept of it. We build your home, sell it to you, and then manage it for you, you know? I thought I could do something like this, but I'm going to be nicer. You're going to get better returns. <laughs> you don't have to pay, pay me to stay there. You know, it's your house, right? And so on the second meeting I had with my developer, we talked about this. And I said, well, first he said this to me, which was interesting. He goes, you know, the way you talk to me, something about what you say, the way you talk to me makes me feel like you're more of a business partner than a final client, even though we're talking about me buying a villa from him. And I go, you know what? It just so happens I have this idea. <laughs> so I told him, like, look, I don't think there's any Americans in Portugal really investing out here. It's an untapped market because Americans don't really know about Portugal yet. There's a lot of French, British, Spanish, Italians doing it. They're doing real well. But just Americans don't know about it yet. And why? Because there's the distance. It's from New York. It's not far. It's six hours. It's like a flight to LA direct. But by virtue of that, not, not everyone's going to know about this opportunity. What if we create a portal for Americans to do what I'm doing in Portugal, you do all the construction and then we manage the properties for them afterwards. And we make a commission off of that. So all they have to do is invest in a, in a, great investment property, go on vacation as much as they want to go on and not lift a finger and generate income for the rest of the year. And right away that developer was like, yeah, I like it. I like that idea. And, you know, we became very close as a result of that. Now it doesn't mean I went into the, that was in March. I didn't go into contract with him until May you know, March, April, and it still took me some time. And uh, what I found was I had a lot of concerns and fears. Obviously, this is something really funky to do. Buy, I've never bought land. I've, I've bought condos in, in foreign places. I've never bought land. I've never built a house. I've never, all this. So I had a lot of fear. Victor, you know what I was going to say? I was going to say that I'm super impressed about how you just jump into projects. There's so many fears, like even just creating a shoe brand, moving to Tokyo, like doing all those things. There's so many unknowns, so many factors that you don't even know, but it just, 
for hearing yeah. your story, it seems like you just jumped in and just make shit happen. Uh, well, well, I mean, no, it's, it's, there's a lot of due diligence. We're talking about, I first got the idea to do some, to buy real estate over there in September. It wasn't until March when I went out there. So I had time to research as well. And like I said, it took me another couple months to get comfortable with him, my partner now, Sergio, to do this. And at this point, flash forward now to the end of the year, we started really working together from May till now. We're looking at around seven months. I consider him a brother. I love that guy. He's given me a power to create things in this world that I would never have before. And a channel for my creative energy that's amazing, a means to generate a kind of income that is really interesting and fun. So the whole experience, and I haven't even earned any any money. This is only investing into this business right now, right? We have, we've now brought in about a million in capital from clients. We have a project to do a hotel. A lot of amazing things have come from this. And I look back at the experience and whereas now, you know, now, so our business now is building villas for clients. Uh, my role is to bring in the investors and do the marketing of it, of our business, which we call Guy Capital. He does all the construction. And then once the clients buy it, we build it. We do it in the most optimized way where they pay the least taxes. Where, you know, because I did all this research for myself. I, I want to avoid taxes. I want to take advantage of all the tax benefits. In fact, there are tax benefits. I want to borrow the best from the best, you know, borrow the best mortgage with the lowest rates. You can, I'm borrowing 70% of my project now at, at one and a quarter percent. It's phenomenal. You know, there's no way I could get this kind of loan in America. It's free fucking money. Right. But if I'm going to do all this shit and go through this process, I want to make the most out of, the value that I can offer to this world. So what does that mean? Turning around and showing clients how to go about that process, right? And then building the business to manage it for them afterwards where it becomes very frictionless, very seamless for them to make money from it and enjoy. And that's what I thought I was selling. You know, what I thought I was selling was real estate, was selling capital returns, was selling yields, was selling this whole thing. But when I really looked at it, I thought, no, actually, what, <laughs> what you're selling, in fact, is the art of transformative experiences. Right. And what does that mean? Why, why, why have I fallen in love with Portugal? Why have I fallen in love with architecture? Why have I fallen in love with real estate and this whole process? I haven't even made any money off of it yet, you know, ostensibly. We brought in capital, but I've yet to see those returns. Why? Because it's been such a transformative experience for me to start from September uh, and have an idea to start researching and developing a lot of uh, finding out a lot of uncertainties, uncovering those things. And so you develop worries and concerns when there's uncertainties, right? The more you initially uncover something, you're going to unfold these kinds of, well, what about this? What about that? And then you have the things like, well, is the developer going to run away with my money? You know, all this kind of stuff, right? A lot of fear. But to have the kind of um, kind of intention to overcome each and one of these fears, as I overcome each and one of these fears, I start moving from the fear end of the spectrum to the love end of the spectrum, and that's a, that's a huge transform transformative polarity right there, right? Fear and love, fear and love. And I went through a, hundreds of those fear and love movements, right? And I, and I realized for me, that's why I'm doing this. Because at each point where I've moved from fear to love, I, I was afraid of how to transfer money into Portugal. Let's say something easy, right? And mm -hmm. I found a solution where I use this company called Money Corp. It's so simple, and I, they give me the best rates. I can get the best rates of currency transfer. I love Money Corp now. I love this. I, I love transferring money now. It's, it's one small thing that I, I've learned how to do, and rather than approach that thing with fear, I approach it with like excitement and passion, right? 
And so when you have a lot of these little fear-love transitions, fear-to-excitement transitions, fear-to-knowledge transitions, that the composite of all of that, you're a totally different person after that, right? You've transformed as a person. And I thought, man, if I can, if I can take clients through that experience of making all these conquering fears, I'm not just, you know, a lot of people can offer 8 to 12% yields and capital appreciation of 10% a year or something like that. I'm not the only guy in the game that can offer that. But I think what I can offer that is different is guiding them through this transformative experience. Mm. Right? Now, rather than being, okay, here's what I can build for you, blah, 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 all that stuff. It's what, where do you want to be? You know? Yeah. Let me take you there. Right? Victor, this is really interesting. You know, as we're talking right now, and as you're talking about the transformative experiences and all that, I'm, I feel like my doubts that I had before are all getting dissolved. Like yeah. when we first started talking on WhatsApp, like you showed me like your deck, you told me about Gaia Capital, you said you're building a villa. And obviously even for me, like I have so many doubts, like I've never invested in Portugal. Like yeah. these are it's all normal. like such. And look, if you didn't have doubts, I wouldn't trust you. They're like, yes. Dude, what's wrong with you? You have to be skeptical, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then now as we're talking, like, I, I can see your vision and I see what you mean. I think, you know, if, look, I have a, I have a, a genuine belief that what I have to offer is very sincere, right? And given that belief, I am uninhibited to be fully transparent and open about all aspects of what I'm doing because I, I, uh, I, I, the more clarity I can provide and the more you understand what the underlying emotions were and the transitions that caused me to make decisions I make, I think as a client, you're going to understand this and you can kind of see yourself in that, in that position too and address a lot of these things. And I, in, very different from what I used to do. I dealt with one buyer to sell many products to you know, thousands of shoes to one buyer. They put in their stores. Mm-hmm. Now I create one product to sell to one guy and we have, a. This, it could be a lifetime relationship, you know? So for me, my job is also in a room of a hundred people. If I spend all my time trying to talk to every single person in that room as a client, I'll come out wasting a lot of my evening, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I know, okay, out of a room of 100 people, there's probably maybe eight people that will be genuinely interested. And out of that eight, there's going to be three or five that I can do something with. So it's, it's about narrowing down to working with people that, okay, these guys get it. I can be very open with them. They're at a cycle in their life. It makes sense with what I'm doing. And so that aspect of transitioning from footwear into this business has mm. been very interesting too. Uh, interesting. Getting real into the clients kind of, kind of, you, you kind of have to, it's almost like a marriage in a way. Right. Yeah. And what I found is, okay, you've narrowed down the people you want to work with. Now you got to figure out the way to work with them. And what underlies decision-making is always several layers of emotion. But at the core, at the bottom of that, at the center of that is love, I believe. You know, if you can, if you can kind of bring them through all these layers of uh, emotion or understanding or awareness of something, and you're able to get to the love element and show that why they can love this, it's easier to transcend everything else. But you, mm-hmm. it's, it's so important to understand, you know, if a client hasn't called me for like a week, there's something, there's an emotion there, right? There's something underlying that. And faster I can unlock the reality of the situation and get a clear understanding of what that is the faster I'm able to come up with a solution. Oh, you're not comfortable with buying the land before seeing it. That's understandable. Well, there's solutions around this, you know, how can I make that work for you? You know, do you have some (laughs) sales training? That's, that's good. 
Um, I, I watch a ton of YouTube, man. Oh, nice. I, you know, these days I work very independently. I, I work in some other, I have several other projects too. I'm in like a sustainable shoe business, a business leisure travel apparel, fashion, fashion, fashion brand, a CBD business. Um, but I don't have that. I don't, I no longer have that mentor like I had when I first started out. And so mm-hmm. I kind of seek these mentors from YouTube and they're all there. Who are you your know? big guys? Who do you like? I, I love Ray Dalio. You know, okay. I think his, his principles have reshaped my whole approach to teams and, and business and life. You know, I, yeah. really what I, what I'm seeking is to kind of understand the world in a way that's so fundamental that's not so specific. Like I don't want to have an understanding that only applies to business or doesn't apply to relationships. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to understand the world in such a, a fundamental way at the core and develop a set of principles like how Ray Dalio did that can be applied to everything in life, all walks of life, women, spirituality, business, family you know and there are those things out there that just they're just very simple truths you know if you if you can affect these kind of integrate those simple truths into the core of your being it radiates out into everything else you do right um and 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 so i look at every business that i do is this is this business going to change lives you know how is it going to transform someone's life if it's not you know, someone I, I once read, if you're not selling medicine, you should not be selling what you're selling. You know, what you're selling has to fix some kind of problem in the world, some kind of ill in the world. If it's not doing that, then you're, Interesting. it's not really worth doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, at the end of the day, that's, it's just figuring out what are these kind of core principles to live by and apply that to all aspects of life. Yeah. I think YouTube is so great. Just any, anyone that you look up to, you can look up their talks, their, you know, their interviews. It's amazing. I'm 39 years old. We growing up, I had to look at encyclopedia. Yeah. And that's not up to date. That's something my mom (laughs) bought me in like middle school that in high school, I still have to repeat rely on that information today. This is shit that I couldn't even dream. You know, I, I was never a great student. I was okay. I got into decent school and everything, but, uh, I didn't, I was not that guy that was getting all straight A's that my mom wanted me to be because I had a hard time in that kind of educational setting, even though I'm Asian, I shouldn't have, but, (laughs) um, and for me, this kind of YouTube format where I can fast forward, rewind is, is very perfect for me. So I encourage people to, there's so much good information on there. Yeah. Anything you want to know, you can learn in about 25 minutes. I know it's crazy. And it's also that's why I started this podcast too, you know, to interview entrepreneurs, uh, interview people that are doing interesting things so that you can record it and then listen to it and get valuable lessons from it. I think, sharing information that's the dna of our civilization you know we we began interacting because of campfires and telling stories right there's no way uh, me and you could be having this conversation over wi-fi today if people didn't share stories right yeah it's what advances society so i i i am a big believer in and supporter of what you do in terms of sharing people's stories i'm always eager to hear this kind of stuff as well. So that's why I reached out to you, man. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome, man. Okay, Victor, where can people find out more about you or your company? I tell you, the it's it's amazing. All the clients that I've have come to me have come from Instagram, really. And it's not really necessarily the I don't know if it's it's a channel. It's one would think LinkedIn might be more suitable for something like that. But mm, I think Instagram is, uh, it's more visual, you know? Yeah. And so you can post pictures of your 
inspiring designs and i think that's maybe why they reach out to you on instagram yeah i i by instagram i just try to to convey the most accurate portrayal of my experience of this and i have it with the intention of sharing it sharing the experience for people to to get interested in to want to do something like this too you know and why because i, I know it's going to change their lives for the better you know, I know it's going to give them a different perspective. And aside from the the money I can earn from developing real estate, I all of a sudden now have the, the positive connotations of all of that, of having changed somebody's life, of having taken them from places of fear to love. And that to me is more valuable than the monetary reward that can, mm. that can, that can bring me all kinds of opportunities, right? All kinds of networking possibilities. The money is just a commodity, right? That's going to do things for me. But this kind of value is very different, you know? So I, I live for that kind of thing as well. Hmm. So what's, what's your Instagram uh, my for Instagram, the audience? Uh, is at V-I-C-T-O. HSU. I also think maybe you should start a YouTube channel because you know, okay, like yeah, you're actually, creating these I, villas I, in Portugal. Yeah. I feel like you got to show that off. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm actually working on that as well. Especially yeah. with like a clickbaity title, like I bought this crazy villa in Portugal for X amount of dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I feel professional. On me, <laughs> No, Maybe I, that's I, your next I, thing. I think, no, I yeah. think it's important. I think, I think as important as as it is, the business is self expression too. You know, that's an art form as well. How to most what you want in life is, you know, what style, right? What is what is the sense of style? Inability to properly convey the the, the most accurate portrayal of your personality or who you are, right? And I, I look at social media as, as its own art and doing that. If you can get good at getting people to know who you are very quickly, you can essentially introduce yourself to millions of people. Oh, man. You know, yes. Yeah. Hands with everybody in a room, right? Yeah. I think you do a really great job of that on Instagram, actually. After you say, after you said that, I was thinking because you post so often, you show people your world, like what you're experiencing. I think you do a really good job of that. And that also builds trust, you know, especially if your clients find you on Instagram, that also builds trust with yeah. your future clients. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty robust composite of the person I am. Obviously I don't share everything. There's certain things that even I will, but I, I do find it to be extraordinarily liberating to be very open, you know, yeah. and to, if you're very open to people, you're also open to receive as well. Right. So things also come to you by doing things this way. There you go, guys. That was my interview with Victor. If you guys want to connect with him, he's on Instagram. You can search for him on Instagram. Search Victor HSU. He posts a lot of cool things. And you guys, thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and share. And also, remember, I have a Facebook group, Badass Asian Dudes. If you want to network and connect with other like-minded people, that's the place to be. And thanks again for listening, guys. And I'll see you guys next week.